minute. My name is Lilian Ate. I'm in Fuller Seminary. This is my last year in my MDiv program. Our scripture reading today is from Romans chapter 8 and chapter 12. We will read in Romans 8 from verse 31 to 39 and Romans 12 from verse 1 to 2. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship, true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, my brothers and sisters, um, is this on? Uh, maybe I don't have anything worth saying. Let me see. Aha! Well, my brothers and sisters, Happy New Year. And I've got to say this too, Merry Christmas. To all of you of Armenian heritage, yesterday was your Christmas, and I hate to admit it, the, the day of celebrating it yesterday, you know, January rather than December, that was earlier in the church probably, but I'm not going to get into that now. We have other things to talk about. I also have to stop and just thank God for the blessing and privilege of having Steve Bartkowski playing the piano for us this morning. And 
Dee Dee Vries singing for us. Yesterday is the last tear. Um, and then also having a, um, wait, the, Carolyn Garrett, right? Carolyn Garrett to be uh, singing. It was just so powerful to thank the Lord. Um, the Bible tells us we're supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice. I was becoming jealous that they're down at another church in LA, but come up as often, as often as you can. I just know I'm with my family when you're here. So, so in this first um, Sunday of, of 2018, uh, I'm, I'm beginning a series that we're calling Reset at the beginning of this year. And as I began to think about that, it reminded me of, of the time that I had first gotten one of these smartphones. I was an early adopter. I got the uh, iPhone 3G. Any of you remember that? I have a picture here to show you. It was so much smaller than the ones that are coming out now 10 years uh, later. But any of you who are my age and older, you know, we get frustrated by this technology at times when it doesn't work the way that we, I see some of you nodding, right? You get frustrated by this. So one time I couldn't get that phone uh, to work. Uh, the email wouldn't download, the apps like the old uh, box office, do you remember that one? Uh, wouldn't get me the information I wanted. So I was frustrated. I thought, do I throw it away? Do I have to buy a new one? And I did what I always do. I called my son, Brandon. And I, he could tell I was frustrated. What should I do with this crazy thing? And he tried to calm me down. He says, don't throw it away, Dad. Don't do anything drastic. He, just, just shut it off. <laughs> and then put it back on. He said, Apple products like to be reset, like to be restarted. So I did, and at least that time, it doesn't always work, but at least that time, immediately the emails started flooding in and, and everything started to getting to be synced and it would all work the way that it was supposed to. Well, that day, 10 years ago, came into my mind as I thought about this first message I want to do in this year of 2018 because I have had this deep conviction that for my own life, but also for us as a church body, that there are times that we really need to reset our walks with God. Do you think so? I, I, I want to call it reset and not restart because it's, it's not starting all over. I mean, some of you have come who don't know Jesus at all. You need to just be born again and, and start all over. But many of us have been walking with the Lord for a while, but we find then that living in this world, all sorts of other things sort of shove God out of that first place in his life, and we need to get our lives reset. Uh, I've done this a number of times in my life. Uh, each time it takes some time in, in silence at times, alone time with God. But I always come out of that with my priorities reset, with my, my strength being and, and, and vision being renewed. And I, I thought that's something that we should do as a church family. Don't you think that's important? So I've been prayerfully considering what passage of God's word might guide us. And, and the one that, that I've come to is Romans 12 and 13. So that's what we're going to be focusing on, those two chapters at, uh, uh, for these first several weeks here at Lake Avenue Church. Let me just tell you, if you're new to the church, a lot of us have read Romans many times, right? And you know there are several different sections of this book of Romans. The first 11 chapters, it's not easy going. I'm just going to tell you that. It is filled with theology. It might be hard to understand at times, but it is beautiful and it is powerful. It is all about the good news of God. 
in which uh, he sent his one and only son who through faith in Jesus, we don't have to earn our way to God, but we receive the gift through faith. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing that, that he talks about. But then in the passage that I want to begin with today, he tells us that once we have received mercy and forgiveness through faith in Jesus, it should change our lives. Uh, and, and then he tells us, based upon the gospel, explained in the first 11 chapters, now our lives should no longer be the same. They should begin to be made new. Today, as we come to those very opening verses, Romans 12, 1 to 2, there is one little phrase that I want us to have sort of as our reset button uh, as, we, as we recommit our lives to the Lord at the beginning of this year. And it, it is this phrase, in view of God's mercy. Uh, Romans 12 begins with, therefore, based upon all the things that God has done for us, and then in view of God's mercy, it's, it's the word that summarizes what God has done on our behalf. And it's clear to me that this touches every part of our lives as followers of Jesus, that everything we do is to be changed and shaped by our understanding of, our view of the mercy of God. So I've written a principle down for you I want you to think about. It's the reset phrase I want us to have in our, in our minds. Our Christian faith, different from other religions. See, mostly when you think about religion, you think about doing all these techniques and rituals, all the stuff you have to do. Our Christian faith, different from other religions, is not one of earning the favor and love of God it is one of responding to the mercy and love that God offers us through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Does that make sense to you? It's mercy. We respond to what he's done. We don't have to earn his favor. So here's what I've decided to do in this first message. I, some of my friends says, this is, don't, don't even try to do this, but I'm doing it anyway. Uh, I want to take a few moments to summarize what the Apostle Paul says about the good news of God's mercy in chapters 1 through 11. And then I want to come back and just for a moment as we begin this series, think about how our lives are to be changed in view of God's mercy. Uh, so I, I've gone back again after my many times of reading Romans 1 through 11 and tried to put together for you what he says about God's mercy and how it relates to the good news of God. And so I, I show you, I feel like those 11 chapters are a description and declaration of God's mercy. Because as he was writing to these churches in Rome, you know, it's called the book of Romans, and I think there were probably a, a, a network of, of, of house churches who would get this and would read it. When, when he wrote to them, he wrote them not just as a theologian, but as a pastor, and he knew that there were some who seemed to have a warped understanding of the mercy of God. Like what, you might ask? Well, it seems, as you read the first three chapters, that, it, that there were some people who sat there right in church who thought that they didn't really need God's mercy. And in this section, that runs all the way for three chapters up to chapter three, verse 20, he ends by saying, no, 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 there is no one who is righteous, no, not one. Let me describe it for you. Uh, chapter one begins by, by the apostle Paul turning to all people and saying, God has good news for you. You know that not everything is perfect or right about your life, right? You know that? They did too, and God knows it too, but God loves you anyway. And God has found a way 
to cleanse all that is wrong in your life and to declare and make you right with him. Read chapter 1, verse 16. It comes through faith in Jesus, not through earning our way to him or making ourselves right. It comes through him living the life we should live, but we haven't. And then dying the death we deserve in our place, we don't have to. He did it. We receive by faith what he has done. And he says, when you receive Jesus by faith, you're declared right with God, but now your life has to become right. The just must live by faith. And yet, as he looked out into his church there, he saw that some didn't really think that they needed that kind of mercy. They loved Jesus okay, but they could have probably done it on their own. And some of those that felt that way were probably mostly non-Israelites, non-Jewish people, were Gentiles like most of us, And the reason, if you look at the first couple of chapters, that they seem to feel like they may not desperately need God's mercy was that different from the Jewish people, they had never had God's word. They'd never had God's law. So if you read chapter two, it seems like some of them were sort of arguing, well, we didn't even know what right was from wrong. So how can we be held accountable for it? So we don't desperately need mercy. We'll follow Jesus, but it's not one that's responding to the fact that we can't do it ourselves. And do you know what Paul said to that? If I can just, verses 12 through 16 of Romans chapter 12, what he said is this, listen. Even if you didn't have in writing God's law in front of you, you are human beings made in the image of God, and God has built within your inner being a conscience. He's written on your heart a knowledge of right from wrong. And, and if you'd say, are you sure that that's true? I, I really am sure that it's true. And it's because every place I've ever gone in my life, whether they are people that absolutely reject any kind of religion, any culture, I have heard people use words like, my children shouldn't have done that. Or what happened there in that case where the judge made a decision, that ought not to have happened. You know, the problem is when you use words like should and ought, It demonstrates that you know right from wrong. Are you with me here? You can't tell your kids what they should not do if you don't have some sense of what they should not do. And he says, because that is written on the heart of every human being to those who never had the law of God, he said, you knew that there were things right and wrong and you did what was wrong anyway. There is none righteous. You are accountable before God. There's no excuse. That's what he says. Now, now, there was another group that thought that they didn't really need God's mercy. And I think Paul had grown up feeling that way himself, his own uh, Jewish family. And their argument was different. They said, oh, yeah, um, we're God's chosen people. And they sort of felt like, when you read Romans, you see they sort of had this feeling was God chose us because of how good we are. (laughs) So even though our lives may not be absolutely perfect, we're not as bad as those people out there in the world. I mean, God's given us this law. We, we come closer to it than they do. And I just got to tell you, my brothers and sisters here at Lake Avenue Church, when I read through that section that runs through the early part of Romans chapter 3, I, I think it speaks to us who go to church now. Do you think we ever sort of get this attitude that everybody out there in this world is really messed up, far worse than we are? Don't you think that sometimes we think that we may not be perfect, but they're really bad, and and they really need mercy? You know what Paul writes about that? Simply because you have God's law doesn't mean that you keep it, and you haven't been keeping it. 
The very thing you teach that people shouldn't do, you do it. And he sums it all up with that chapter 3, verse 10. There is no one righteous, not even one. And it just seems like everything is absolutely hopeless. So the first thing I just want to say to you is, all of us who come to Lake Avenue Church today, you and I need mercy. Can I have a witness? Do you feel like you need the mercy of God? We, we are mercy-needing people, and every person that you will meet when you leave this church today will be people who need mercy. All people need it. Now, the other side that I see him addressing in Romans 1 through 11 is that there are some people, and here Paul related to this too, who feel like their lives are so bad that they've gone beyond the reach of God's mercy. And there are even some people who come to church who feel like perhaps their lives have gotten to the point where if all these other good church people knew all the things that you thought about and did, that they would run you out of church, that you feel really beyond the reach of God's mercy. Paul felt that way. You know, at the end of his life, he still felt like he was the chief of sinners. And in Romans chapter 17, 7, verses 14 to 15, he said, I'm unspiritual. I'm sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. What I hate, I do. Can any of you relate to him here? That, that tug inside, he tells us about his own. This was the great apostle Paul. He was transparent enough to open up his heart and his life and to tell about his struggle, feeling trapped in sinfulness. And I, I think many of us come to church having heard the gospel many times, having shared communion many times, having recommitted ourselves to the Lord and then gone back to all the things that we've done before and, and we feel like, am I really a Christian? Will God forgive me yet again? He was so overwhelmed by his own failure that I, I just feel him crying out in chapter seven, verse 24, what a wretched man I am. I mean, who will, who can rescue me? I've pulled back praying about this. Do I think anybody might show up at church today who feels this way? Do you ever feel this way? Then I pray that every time you come to Lake that you will hear, and I pray you'll hear even now what somehow Paul must have heard when he says, is there any hope for me at all? And in verse 25, he immediately remembering the gospel shouts out, thanks be to God, thanks be to God. He is still the one who delivers me and it comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is, no one is beyond the reach of the mercy of God. No matter what is in your present or in your past, the grace of God is greater than your sin. Can I have a hallelujah? Can I have a hallelujah? And so if we sum all of this up in looking at chapter three, verse 21, all the way to 623, and then chapter eight, God's mercy is needed by all. God's mercy is sufficient for us all. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What I love is for those who felt like they didn't need mercy and he had just really taken three chapters. If, if you feel way too optimistic about yourself someday, read those three chapters. He ends saying, from head to toe, we fall short of what God would have us to be. It feels so hopeless. It feels so hopeless because we can't get there ourselves. And he breaks forth in chapter 3, verse 21 to 25, and what many people feel is the most concise statement of the gospel to be found in the New Testament. 
I can't say it any better than he writes it, so I'm just going to put it up here for you, read it for you, and stop a time or two. So it seemed hopeless for us. But now, great phrase, light breaks into darkness. But now, apart from the law that we can't keep, the righteousness of God has been made known. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I've got to ask you, are you in that all? You want to admit it? (laughs) If we can't admit it, this message is going to be nothing to you. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Are you in that all? Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. For God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood, which is to be received by faith. I tell you, I read that. It's a costly mercy for God to forgive and cleanse and remake us, isn't it? But he loves us so much that he is ready to offer that mercy today. That's what God has done for you. And then I thought of all those who may show up at church like Paul and feel like maybe you've done things that put you beyond the reach of God's mercy. You have Romans 8, which I just have to tell you, maybe my favorite chapter in the Bible, even though I say that about every chapter I preach about. Uh, It gives us these promises that are just so unbelievable. I'll just summarize it for you. If you wonder whether the mercy of God is sufficient to reach down to you and to start again today with you, Paul begins the promise in Romans 8, verse 1, there's no condemnation when you are in Christ Jesus. Those sins are gone. And if you say, how am I ever going to become different? He says, because God, beginning a little bit later, God through his, gives to you his Holy Spirit. What you can't do, he begins to do in and through you. And the Holy Spirit will begin a work that when he is done with you, you'll no longer be susceptible to sin. May it happen now, Lord Jesus. And you and I will be, using Paul's words in verse 29, conformed to the image of Jesus. That's our destiny, brothers and sisters, becoming like Jesus. And if today coming here you say, yes, he's declared me right with him through the blood of Jesus. He's given me a spirit and promises someday I will be remade and like him. What about now? Maybe all these things will separate me from from that love of God. That's where that text that Lillian, Lillian, you read it so powerfully for us today, read for us, comes in. There is nothing in this world or outside this world that is ever going to be able to separate you and me from the love of God that comes through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what he promises, the mercy of God. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your life to him. See, our lives are to be reset in view of God's mercy. Does that make sense to you? I I looked out there wondering if some of you wondered if I was going to say something about Romans 9 through 11, one of the hardest texts in the entire Bible. And really, I'll just tell you what happened when Paul said, this is God's promise. Some of his own people, the Jewish people, said, but does God really keep his promises? Does he really? And And Romans 9 through 11 is this declaration that he does. 
But let me tell you, because he does, therefore our lives can and will be different. So I'll just take a moment today to tell you that we are to live our lives, every part of our lives, in view of God's mercy. Uh, Living a life as a follower of Jesus is different from going to any other kind of religion where we've got to always try to make ourselves perfect and we can never get there. It is one of responding to what God has done, not trying to earn his favor. Other religions say, okay, the way that you become, change your life is is sometimes through fear, sometimes through making you feel guilty or, or, or filling you with shame or just giving you a whole new set of rituals and rules that you just keep them all perfectly and the Bible says you're not going to be able to do that, but I love you. And so our faith is one of responding to what he has done, not to trying to earn his favor. Are you with me here? And that's what we're going to be thinking about in these coming weeks, and I hope you will come. We're going to be thinking about what changes in our lives when we live in view of God's mercy. We're going to be thinking, as Pastor Jeff prayed about, that we'll want to to give up our preferences for others and and serve others and have our lives make a difference in the way that Jesus did. Uh, We're going to to begin seeing that God begins to, to enable us to love people we would never have loved. It, it even talks about how we respond to our government. Can you believe it? All these things we need to think about. What difference does the fact that we are humbled by the mercy of God make in all of those things? So today, before we receive communion, uh, I'll just give you the two phrases. I want you to have something to take home about the first responses to the mercy of God. If today you've come and you believe from the depths of your being that God loves you so much that he sent his only son who loves you so much that he allowed his life to be given, his blood to be shed for you. And you say, Lord, I want to live for you. What should I do? He gives you two phrases. Offer your body to him. Offer your mind to him. Uh, Verse one, in view of God's mercy, offer your body to him. Now, Now, you may think it's funny that he says offer your body because uh, does that mean we don't offer the rest of us to him? Well, no, we offer all that we are, but he does specifically say offer your body to him, and I think it's very, very important uh, because what we do with these bodies and where we go with these bodies, that's a big part of our commitment to Christ. Did you know that? And so I've, I've prayed about this as your senior pastor, and I've thought, what do I want you to do? What kind of commitment do I want you to make in view of God's mercy with your body? And I've jotted down just three things. I want you to join me in praying this commitment. Lord, wherever you want me to go with this body, I'll go. That may be into a place of helping somebody that's really hurting it. It might be into a place of service that you would never have chosen for yourself. And the flip side is also true. Wherever you do not want me to go with this body, I'll not go. Will you make that commitment? I I think a second part of this, Lord, wherever, wherever you want me, whatever you want me to do with this body, I'll do it. And the flip side, Lord, if there are things I'm I'm doing with this body that aren't honoring to you, Lord, with your help. I won't do it. Because in this, it's so natural for us to be self-driven. We have these passions inside. I want to do this even if they're the things that God doesn't want us to do. But in view of God's mercy, 
come to him and say, Lord, I, I give that to you. And the last part where I meddle a little bit about our bodies, uh, whatever you want me to put into this body, I'll put into it. And, and I think the other side is true. Whatever you don't want me to put into it, I won't put into it. It just shows me that what God is saying is that when, when you have experienced my mercy, it affects every part of everything that you do. And our bodies are, are such a big part of that. And he says that for us, this becomes a living sacrifice. And do you know why he says that? Because for the Jewish people before Jesus came, whenever they knew that there were things wrong in their lives, you know what they did? They, they brought animals into the place of worship and they killed them <laughs> as a sacrifice to God. But now that Jesus has come, he's given his life one sacrifice for all. H how do we now respond to the mercy of God? By living for him. You see, a living sacrifice. Where we go with our bodies, what we do with them, what we put into them. It, it leads to a change. And it just, just shows you that the following Jesus affects everything. Our sexual habits, our, our eating habits, our exercise patterns, everything. And I, I pray you will make some of those commitments at the beginning of 2018. And, and then the other part goes into our minds. In view of God's mercy, verse 2 be transformed, it's really a command, by the renewing of your mind. It's always interested me that he puts these two similar words in, uh, next to one another, conform, transform. Both of them have to do with taking the shape of, but they're a little bit different. Um, conform means to take the external shape of. It's kind of like putting water in a nice uh, tray and it all takes on the shape of the cube, you know what I mean? And what he's saying here is this, when you live in this world, your life is going to be shaped by so many things that you hear and experience. Your, your thinking, your life are shaped by, um, by, by what you watch, uh, by your family, by your friends and, and peer groups, by the websites you go to, by the books that you read. I, every, I could go on. All this is what the Bible here is calling the world. Now, in one sense, we have to live in this world, but we can't be of this world. All those things that usually shape our lives, that mean that we become directed by the world or by our own flesh, often leave God out altogether, right? Are you with me? If they direct our lives, our lives will not be directed God's way. And so Paul warns us, be careful. Don't think the world thinks, don't, don't, don't put into your mind what the world, so you have to do something that is different. How can our lives, though, be actually transformed and changed? Because, I mean, we live in this world, and, and our lives are filled with being shaped by the society that we live in, and he says, this is the way it begins to happen. I begin in your thinking. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the word transform is different from conform. Conform is take on the external shape. Transform is to change from the inside out. Uh, the word is metamorphosis, you know, like a caterpillar changes into a butterfly. And so from that inside out, it is what you put into your mind, your thinking, that begins to make that difference in your practical living. What you think directs how you live. So again, I pulled back, senior pastor, and I thought, what do I want to talk to you about at the very beginning about your thinking, and I, I jotted a couple things down. One is, your very salvation is, is begun by, in your mind, it, it begins in your mind. 
So I want to make sure that you have used your mind to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we, we come to know Jesus through placing our faith in him. And that all begins in the mind with us knowing what the good news about Jesus is. But it doesn't stop there. Just knowing the truth isn't going to change us. We must also believe in Jesus. When we believe in Jesus, he makes us alive to God. So have you placed your faith in Jesus using your mind saying, yes, I believe. Here is my life. And then we trust. We use our minds to trust Jesus, entrusting our lives to him or to use the language of Jesus to begin to follow him and to have him direct our lives. So I want you to begin by making sure in your thinking that you have given your life to Jesus by faith. Then what else? The second thing that I see, and it's found in the book of Romans, especially Romans 8, 5, is to take time to set your mind on the things of God. I found this to be such a big key in my own walk with the Lord. The key verse is chapter 8, verse 5. Those who are actually going to live in accordance with spirit. Is it up here for you to, to see? Do you notice this phrase? Have their minds set on what the spirit desires. All right, I, I thought... When I looked at this several years ago, I thought what this has to mean for me is when I get up in the morning, I often think about all the things I have to do that day and there are a lot of things there I don't want to do. Or there are things that I want to do that I know that aren't the, the things that God would have me to do. So I've drawn all the world-directed, self-directed ways and to actually take time intentionally at the beginning of the day and say, Lord, I want to set my mind on what you desire. How would you have me to treat that person? What would you have me to do in that setting? How should I conduct that business deal? All of these things, instead of them being self-advancing, to simply be God-directed. Set your mind intentionally on the things of God day by day by day. I, I find it to be helpful. So we have faith in Jesus, setting of your mind upon the things of God, and then the third piece that you find in the New Testament is fill your minds with the things of God that are pleasing to God. And, and the key verse for this, and I think I have it there for you, and perhaps many of you have learned it, is this, Philippians 4, 8. So whatever is true, not fake news, but true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, notice that, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So how do we live that out? I imagine all of you can think about the kinds of things that you put into your minds that you say, that doesn't help me. I mean, you know, garbage in, garbage out. You gotta expect that, so the things that you shouldn't be doing. But at least I would want to say this, it has an undeniable message to us about being careful about the books we read, the websites we go to, the movies we watch, even the things we daydream about. Filling your mind with the things of God begins to allow God to do his transforming work in you. I'm gonna stop right there. In this reset series, I just know that this is the phrase that we've got to hit first. Reset in view of the mercy of God. Because our lives are not going to be changed by you and me just working harder at it in our own strength, right? They're not going to be ha happen. Our lives aren't going to be changed if I just get up here and preach a sermon to make you feel guilty or filled with shame. 
It is when you again are taken and deeply moved by the fact that God loves you in spite of your sin. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus who gave his life for you. And you say, in view of God's mercy, here I am. Body and mind, here I am, Lord. I don't know why you want me, but I want you. I am ready to live for you. Because may I show it to you again. Because our Christian faith, different from other religions, is not one of earning the favor and love of God. It is of responding to the mercy and love that God has lavished on us in our Lord Jesus Christ. So the best way for us to engage in this together as a church is by doing what we're gonna do right now. What can we do that more fully draws us to understand or to think again about the mercy of God than to do what Jesus told us to do? On the evening that he was betrayed for the very forgiveness of those who denied him and betrayed him, he said, I am going to go and give my body and blood for you out of love for you. Uh, And I want you when you gather to remember, uh, to have this table together so that you can remember really my love and mercy for you. Today before we go to the table, if you would take just a moment or so to pray and ask God to show you any things about your body or your mind that you need to confess to him, ask him for forgiveness, receive the cleansing and forgiveness that he promises us, then, then come forward with great gratitude, with great gratitude. Uh, if you're visiting with us, it's the Lord's table, not ours. If you know the Lord Jesus and you want to offer your body and mind to the Lord Jesus afresh and live in view of his mercy, then please come and join us as your brothers and sisters. Uh, we all get out of the, of the pews where we're sitting and we come up to the tables. I'll ask our stewards to come to the tables now. We'll take the elements, the bread and the cup, and then go back to your seats and we'll receive it together. If you can't get up and come, we'll bring it out to you. Those who have gluten allergies allergies all the way to my right, to your left, you can get the kind of bread that has no gluten in it. So now again, as the um, music begins, confess what you need to confess, and then with great gratitude, come forward, and we we will remember the mercy of God. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would use this word in all of our lives today. For those who have never come to know you through faith in Jesus, may this be their day of salvation. For the rest of us, Father, who have walked with you even a long time and need to have our lives reset as we together go to the table, give us a fresh view of your mercy, the kind that will change our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.